It's a little bit different of a service this morning in that um, there's no sermon. Um, I could talk a lot longer than I'm going to talk this morning, as you well know. Um, But I won't do that. We're going to take some time to share some stories this morning. And um, since I know that we're a community that loves to embrace change and we're open to new works of God's spirit among us, I know that that won't throw you at all, will it? No, thank you. Um, And so I'm so glad that you're here this morning and we're focusing our time on sharing some stories of things that are happening right now in the life of our community because it's important for us to pay attention to what God is up to, and then celebrate the things that he is doing. So today is about stopping. Today is about paying attention. And then listening in our own spirit for what God might be inviting us to. And so there's a theme for the morning. And as we listen to stories among us and notice God's work, we noticed that while there are a lot of different ways that God works, there was an idea that we needed to land on as a community, and here it is. We noticed that God is teaching us to welcome the stranger. To welcome the stranger. And here's the thing. This might sound like a crazy concept. I mean, I was a child of the 80s at the height of, like, stranger danger, right? Cable news was skyrocketing and people were more aware and in touch with problems around the world and suddenly these problems seemed to be around every corner. And while I am all about creating a safe environment for our kids, I do notice that when it comes to our faith, we're encouraged to welcome the stranger. And this isn't a political statement as much as it's an invitation to think about our faith as the process of welcoming what's unknown to us. It's the process of welcoming something that's unknown to us. Maybe it's a new idea and we need to think it over and we need to talk it over and we need to wonder about it. And we need to allow that to shape our hearts and our minds. That new idea, something we never thought of before, suddenly becomes meaningful to us. Some ideas we welcome in and then we decide, you know what, that's not helpful, maybe even hurtful. And so we discard them and we move on. Maybe welcoming means welcoming a group of people into our homes, into our friendship circles, into that group of people that we allow to give input into our lives. We open up our hearts, we open up our stories to their input and influence. Welcoming the stranger when taken under the umbrella of faith. It's about how God invites us to move past our fears into the unknown, into taking a risk that just might change everything. Friends, there are critical points in the scripture and in the Hebrew Bible and in the New Testament where welcoming the stranger turns out to be this real fork in the road for people. So, for example, you have Abraham and Sarah in Hebron. These two elderly people and the strangers approach them from a distance. And there might have been in that moment some fear in them because they are alone, because they are elderly. Who knows who these strangers are? 
And in our society, there would also be a lot of fear. I mean, just think about it. Maybe you're hiking through the boundary waters and you're all alone forever and then suddenly someone comes tramping in the woods. Our first response is one of fear, one of protection. But Abraham and Sarah say, you know what? You're strangers. You've come from a long distance. You must be tired. You must be hungry. Sit and eat. We extend to you our hospitality. And of course, they learn that these strangers are actually God's representatives that have come to deliver the good news that a child will be given to them and he will fulfill God's promises to his people. And then there's this parallel story in the New Testament of the disciples when they are on the road to Emmaus and they're walking down the road and they're downcast and this stranger comes to them. And the disciples, they're downcast because Jesus has just been crucified. And this stranger comes and says, why are you downcast? And the disciples say to him, you must be the very last person in town who has not heard the news of what's just happened. And the stranger says to the disciples, oh, ye of little faith, don't you remember the prophecy? Don't you remember what has been told to you? And the disciples, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they walk together, and when they get to their destination, Jesus continues to move on, but the disciples say to him, why don't you come and eat with us? It's late in the day. We've been traveling for a while. And so they sit around the table, and this famous verse says, and he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Suddenly their eyes were open. This was the risen Christ. Friends, if Abraham and Sarah had not welcomed the stranger, the Hebrew Bible would be about eight chapters long. If the disciples had not welcomed the stranger, the Christian church would not have the same storyline that it has today. There would not be as many witnesses to the risen Christ. There is a very special role in scripture for welcoming the stranger. There's a writer by the name of Parker Palmer, and we want to show you a short video clip in just a moment. And he's going to give us a little bit more context for this idea, but he says this. Because the stranger, the one who is not known to us, gives us another angle on the good news. The stranger comes from a different place. The stranger does not see things the same way that we do. The stranger has heard different things than we have heard and is able to give us a bigger picture of who we are and where we are and what the possibilities are than we could ever have done on our own. Friends, this morning as you hear stories, We pray that these stories you invite in and you wonder what your response might be, wonder what God might be teaching you, what God might be inviting you to. Let me pray. God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the stories that um, go before us, the stories that surround us, the stories that will continue to flow out of this time together. We pray, God, that you would open up our eyes, you would open up our hearts to what you have to say today. In your name we pray. Amen. Check out this short video clip. I, I, think, I think that the stranger has a very special role in scripture as one who, who gives us another angle 
on the news, the good news, and all the news. Because the stranger comes from a different place than we do, sees different things than we do, has heard different things than we've heard, and is able to give us a bigger picture of who we are and where we are and what the possibilities are than we could possibly get all by ourselves. If, if, we only, if we stay within our own lifestyle enclave or our, our, our own sense of, of who our family is and who it isn't, uh, we keep getting the news from the same sources and we keep recycling it and we keep breathing the same air, which can get very stale after a while. Um, but if we reach out to the stranger, we begin to pick up different messages. And again, our view of the world becomes larger. And because we're, we're taking in the, the otherness that we know is out there, but we're always kind of afraid of, and we're learning that we don't need to be afraid of it, that it can actually expand and deepen our lives, we feel more at home in the, in the world through acts of hospitality to the stranger. At least in my life, that's proven true time and, and time again. And I think it's right at the heart of democracy as well as faith. It's another one of those intersections between Christianity and the demands of a, a healthy democracy. Um, to extend hospitality to that which seems other than who we are, to, as Marge Piercy says in, in one of her poems, to know who we mean when we say we, and each day mean one more. Each day mean one more. Keep growing that definition of we by encountering the stranger, learning from the stranger, offering food and drink to the stranger, breaking bread with the stranger. And I think always, always, from where I sit, the stranger may not see it this way, but I do, always, always, he is known to them in the breaking of the bread. So, uh, good morning. Carol and I this morning would like to share with you about how we're starting to become involved with Refugee Ministries. And now that we're both retired and uh, we've been seeking God's direction and leading about how he wants to, how he wants us to use this gift of time, um, we really have a passion and a heart for, you know, looking at refugee ministries. As you know, there's many, many um, ministries that we could become involved in. Uh, but one thing that we really wanted was something that would really um, build relationships and really help build relationships with others, especially from, from other cultures and other backgrounds. And so as we begin sharing this with family and with friends, um, our daughter, Bree, told us about three areas that really resonated with her about how she really focuses on where she serves. And those three areas were, were to connect, to encourage, and to equip. And as we thought about that, that just really, really struck home with us about, about those three areas, connect, encourage, and equip. 
And as we begin thinking about refugee ministries, which we've been financially supporting in the past, but really haven't had the opportunity to be personally involved, we just thought, boy, that really encompassed each one of those three areas. Um, to connect with families that are moving here from a different culture and a different land, um, to encourage them in moving into, you know, Minnesota, the land that snows in October, um, and to, in, you know, to equip them for the future. Um, so as we talked with Pastor Mark and with Pastor Clean, uh, with, with Donna Peterson and Rob Scott, they really encouraged us to talk with Arrive Ministries and just see where that we as a, as a couple and as a church can be involved. And we're just at the beginning stages of this right now. So with that, I'm just going to have Carol share where we are with Arrive Ministries right now. So Doug and I have agreed to be team leaders for a group here from Roseville Covenant. And um, since making that decision, we've had an opportunity to sit down with Akram, who is on ARRIVE um, staff, and he shared information with us on what our role would be as team leaders and as a team going forward. We have a couple of different options in terms of uh, what we want to take on at this point. The first one would be meeting a family at the airport and getting involved just um, from day one in terms of helping them with housing and um, jobs and school and all the paperwork along with Arrive Ministries. This is a pretty intense time for these families coming in and is a big commitment. Another option that we would have is to come alongside a family that has already been here for a few months or even up to a year, and um, they're getting settled in, but they just need a little bit more help in that process, and then just are interested in building friendships and relationships. Um, Pastor Clean has been really helpful in um, kind of talking us through this in terms of how do we want to do this well, how do we want to know what we're saying yes to, what we're committing ourselves to, and so in, in and through those conversations, I think as a team, we've decided we want to start at option two. It's kind of a gradual entry into it and um, work with a family that's already been here with the hopes that maybe down the road we could move into another role with a brand new family. Um, As Doug and I have um, become more and more interested in this, we've had an opportunity to do some reading and attend some training sessions and even hear firsthand from some of the refugees who have settled here in Minnesota. And I just can't even tell you how their stories of hardship have just tugged at our hearts um, and I guess have just spurred us on to want to share the love of Jesus with them in really tangible ways. And I think we're just looking forward to sitting down together, hearing each other's stories, finding common ground, woman to woman, mom to mom, man to man, and just sharing life together um, and building friendships. And so at this point, we have about eight people on our team. We're looking for a few more. Um, So if you're interested in hearing more or just would like some more information, Doug and I will be out in the gathering area afterwards. We've got some printed material, and we would love to chat with you. I'm Kaylee. And I'm Aaliyah. Um, we did the refugee journey experience at Chick. It was basically a simulation to understand what the life of a refugee was like. It started with us getting into groups of what were called families, and we each got a role. Like I was the mom, and I was one of the kids. And then 
we went into like the stations that were what they would do in normal life. So I went and worked in the field. I got to play soccer. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, while we were doing these things, sirens went off and people were yelling at us to get into what was the refugee camp and telling us to run. And it was just pure chaos. So when we went into the area with the refugee tents, we were pushed into different tents and we watched a video that um, had an actual refugee talking to us about their experience. And our refugee video that we watched was a man from South Sudan. Um, and afterwards, they asked us to reflect on how we felt and what it was like for us to go through this experience. And I remember thinking that I felt like I was, I was scared and confused, but I knew I was in a safe place and that nothing bad would happen to me. But for the refugees, they didn't know that. They, were, they don't know where they're going. They don't know anything, what's happening. I, on the other hand, was so terrified, I almost started crying. Um, it was just a big feeling of stress, and it was really overwhelming thinking that I didn't know what was going on or where I was going. And it would be about 100 times harder for actual refugees because they get separated more often. I was lucky enough to stay with some people that I knew, but refugees don't get that chance all the time. Hi, my name is Jim Bergstrom, and I was asked to share a little bit about uh, some of the work we're doing in our second through fifth grade Sunday school class this year, uh, following the Kids Helping Kids curriculum which is an effort by the Covenant Evangelical Covenant Church to help to educate our young people about some of the issues related to refugees and refugee ministry. Uh, it's, a very, it's a compelling curriculum uh, told with personal stories uh, from places all over the world that our church is helping refugees and is told from the perspective mainly of children who are living in refugee camps and are being ministered to by representatives of our church. Um, at first, uh, this was, it was when I was thinking about, because at the same time, we're also doing our standard uh, Bible storytelling curriculum. And at first, uh, my thought was, how are we going to combine these things in a way that uh, makes sense? And we started our... First Bible story with Adam and Eve and the, uh, leaving the garden and trying to figure out what to do with their lives after that. And the second Bible story was about Abraham, who was essentially called into refugee to be a refugee by God, if you think about it. And our next story was on uh, Jacob, who was a refugee. And as you start to look through the curriculum, uh, my challenge became to find a Bible story that was not about caring for refugees. And, uh, and it really was a lens that opened my eyes quite a bit. The curriculum challenges us to listen to these stories and respond as a class to how we're going to respond to the needs of refugees, hopefully helping with some of the other efforts that are going on in our church, and um, maybe doing something as a class. On our first Sunday, when we listened to the story and tried to figure out what might uh, these refugee children need or what's a way we could respond. 
as a class, we decided what they probably needed was some video games because they didn't have video games there. Uh, and so we've, we've moved beyond that. Um, we heard a story uh, about uh, a, a girl who couldn't get to sleep at night because there were so many uh, bugs in her clothes and in the things that she wore. And her mom figured out how to make soap and uh, sell it as a way to raise some funds for her in the refugee camp. You may have smelled a few weeks ago our attempts to make soap, uh, which I think we're, we're the first group who made more of a mess making soap uh, than we did clean anything. But uh, we're thinking as a class how we may help to respond to some of these needs as well. And uh, we're so glad that God has placed us on our hearts as a congregation. As they've shared about the variety of ways that um, our church is responding and learning about um, refugee ministry, um, one of the cool things for us as a staff has been noticing that that's happening intergenerationally, and we love that. And I hope you notice that as well. Hi, my name is Megan Anderson. I have been a longtime attender of Roseville Covenant, and I attend the Canvas service with my family my husband, Eric, and my sons, Bjorn and Torin. Um, I am a nurse, and I am currently an instructor for nursing students. And at church, I am involved with leading the Naomi Women's Gathering on Wednesday nights, and I volunteer at Vacation Bible School, and I attend a women's small group along with many other activities. As we talk about welcoming the stranger and hospitality this morning, there is something else I'd like you to know about me. I am in recovery from alcoholism. Two and a half years ago, it became obvious that I needed to make a decision about alcohol use in my life. I couldn't keep promises to myself or to my husband in regards to drinking. Powerless was a word that I became familiar with. A saying in recovery is, it's not how much you drank, but it's what you did when you drank that matters. My behavior was irresponsible and at times offensive. I knew I was an alcoholic when I put alcohol above my relationship with Christ. I had been hiding my true self and lying for years, but now my will was finally broken. My behavior had separated me from my family, my community, and most importantly, from God. I had become a stranger in my own community because of my choices and my disease. After months of gentle urging from Eric, I was faced with the humbleness of needing help. I needed others in a way I never had before. It was intensely difficult to ask for help. Over two and a half years ago, I walked into my first 12-step meeting. These strangers were so welcoming. I was so scared, and I was skeptical at first. I didn't know what they would expect from me. I had nothing to offer them. 
but desperately I needed something from them. I was a stranger to, yet, to them, yet they offered me help. They hope and they pointed me back to Jesus. They didn't know me, yet they invited me into their homes. I experienced true hospitality from them. The Bible, the 12 steps, and these new friends taught me how to work through the consequences of my previous behavior. They gave their time and they shared their experiences with staying sober. These communities simply welcomed me as I was and didn't require anything of me. And slowly, painstakingly, I began to recover. I started to be brutally honest with myself, God, and others. In our marriage, there was a lot of tension, apologies, and amends that needed to happen. How could we support one another, yet give room for growth and change that we would be required in this new reality. So before the point at which Megan fully came to terms with her addiction, we had been through a period of many years of Megan trying to define what her relationship with alcohol would look like, and me trying to support her in that effort. I learned very on that making demands or ultimatums would not be constructive. <laughs> and instead chose the path of asking gentle questions and offering guidance and suggestions when I noticed negative effects from alcohol use. Needless to say, this process required much grace, patience, and non-judgment from me, and it was not easy. Two and a half years ago, when Megan finally did admit to herself and me that she was an alcoholic, the news was met with mixed emotions for, for me. On one hand, I was relieved that the tide had turned and that things may finally start getting better. But on the other hand, I realized that Megan starting her process of recovery would require me to make significant sacrifices as well. See, at that point, and still now, enjoying craft beers and well-made whiskey was something that I greatly enjoyed. <laughs> For a time, Megan asked me to not drink around her, which I agreed to. But if I'm being honest, this made me quite bitter, as having a drink or two with friends was a staple of our social life and my enjoyment of well-spent time with friends. I could not count the number of formative and life-giving conversations on theology, faith, politics, and life, and life in general I'd had with friends over glasses of bourbon. Though much prayer, through much prayer, conversation with friends, and personal work, I eventually came to peace with this realizing that abstaining from alcohol use at home or while out together was a very tangible way I could support Megan in her recovery. Of the many things I've learned through this process, one of the most significant is a reinforcement of the fact that I cannot fulfill every role in Megan's life. I could not then and cannot now serve as husband, therapist, and support group. For this reason, I'm internally indebted to the brothers and sisters in her various recovery groups. These folks, having dealt with addiction in their own life, are able to understand and speak into Megan's life in ways that I will never be able to. And for that, I'm so thankful. For those that are not familiar with recovery groups, one frequent thing that happens there is the giving of medallions to mark significant time periods of sobriety, 24 hours, one month, six months, etc. 
I had the profound honor of being able to attend the medallion night on the one-year anniversary of Megan's sobriety and was able to speak briefly there to the people about Megan and then present her her one-year medallion. I was so proud of the work she'd done. And how much progress had been made during that year. So while the last two and a half years of our marriage have not been without conflict or difficulty, the process of Megan working through her recovery and me learning more about her and about addiction in general have brought us closer together and I believe has, <laughs> has made us both able to better live the lives Christ has called us to live. There's a little more. Mm, amen, right? So along with lots of friendship and small group support, I have been working with a therapist, attending Alcohol, Alcoholics Anonymous, and Quest 180 at Eagle Brook Church to continue managing my struggles. Being sober itself is a huge amount of personal work. And each person is not called to make their journey public. But our hope in doing so is so that others who are struggling and the people who love them would know that they are not alone, that there is hope. After regularly attending support meetings and getting a mentor, which in AA they call a sponsor, and learning more about my addiction, I was feeling a bit more stable. I had strengthened my sobriety muscles through a few bumps in the road, so I began to pass on this extraordinary gift of love that I'd been given. And isn't this how Jesus wanted it? Welcoming the next person living as a stranger in their own life is a new passion that God has given me. In these communities, I now get to practice the love and hospitality that was shown to me. Because of my struggle, I have an empathy with others that would not have existed. God has provided opportunities to encourage people who are suffering, to help beginners navigate the Bible for the first time, and to welcome the next person into sobriety. I am honored to see God's miracles come true in people's lives every week. In the video, Palmer said that the stranger gives us an angle on the news. We need to hear different things to know what the possibilities are. If we stay in our enclave, we will recycle our air and it will become stale. In sharing our story, I feel a bit like a stranger bringing a new message back to you. I don't know what to expect in sharing this, but all I can do is offer my story of brokenness and my voice. It's okay that we are broken. It's the truth that we are all broken. One idea that I've learned from my recovery community is to make progress, not perfection. This concept speaks to the reality that none of us will attain the perfect life while on earth. However, this is not an excuse to resign ourselves to sloppy living. 
Our work is to keep moving forward, to make progress. So in this, I'm using my voice and telling my story, hoping that as I break the silence in this room about alcoholism, someone will find the hope that is available. So as we've heard a few of these stories, will you just join me um, as we pray a prayer of blessing and um, an encouragement of our own response to this important topic. God, we're just grateful for the ways that you are at work. We're grateful for the ways that you have called us to follow you. And a part of that following means we get to be ones who then go and invite others into the family, invite others to feel cared for, invite others to feel welcomed and blessed. God, we thank you for the ways that you're sparking this conversation in the life of our community, that you have grown us to a place in our discipleship where we're seeing those who um, are in need of welcome, in need of family and community. God, I ask that you would encourage us to be ones who step out and offer that welcome. Whether or not we feel fully equipped, whether or not we feel ready, would you invite us to be a part of that work? We thank you for the ways that you're sparking new learning. You're um, planting stories in the life of our community where people are responding to what you're doing. And God, we're grateful for that. And we ask that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, will continue to encourage us and equip us and ready us for the work ahead. In your name we pray. Amen.